coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. It was the scariest experience of their lives. Or for as long as they live, they can almost hear the ghoulish squalls of the wind in their mind. They can almost feel the shiver of the ice-cold waves overflowing the boat as it began to sink into the sea. They would remember again and again that, that single second where what was going through their minds is, is that they were about to drown in the dark. The apostles on the sea storm was a traumatic moment in their lives, but none more traumatic than when the storm surrendered to Jesus. I mean, they thought that it was the end of an especially exhausting day. And I mean, if I were one of the 12 disciples, I would have gone up to Jesus immediately and said, listen, Jesus, I'm going to need a few days off because what just happened is, is a little too much for me. And yet that was when an even scarier, more terrifying storm arose. When all hell literally broke loose. And that's because waiting for them on the other side of the sea was this. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. And they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This morning, we bring our series on the demonic activity of the scriptures to its close. And on this particular and final episode, we come to a place called Gadara. Now, Gadara was one of ten cities in a place called the Decapolis. This was primarily a non-Jewish population, mostly Greek inhabitants. And yet as soon as these disciples get out of the boat, still very much shaken by the events that just unfolded on the sea, what is waiting for them are these blood-curdling screams that are so loud it could wake the dead. As a naked man who is bleeding, who's possessed with with a demonic spirit, comes racing towards them from from out of a cemetery. And I mean, if you're one of these 12 disciples, I mean, how is all of this going over with you? A sea storm and now this? I mean, this is a, a terrifying roller coaster for them. Now, in his gospel, Matthew mentions that there is another man who's with him. But Mark places all of the emphasis on this one man especially. And that's because this wasn't just any normal standard run-of-the-mill demonic possession. This was especially diabolical and sinister. Mark goes out of his way to make it very clear to us 
that this guy was living in the graveyard. That is not natural, is it? Luke reveals that for a very long time, this guy was running around completely naked. That is not natural. And all day and night, as it says yet again in Mark, out of the tombs, he is screaming constantly as he's gashing himself with, with rocks. And you better believe that with every deafening cry that reverberated off of the mountains and reached into the city, mothers told their children, you are to go nowhere near those graves or the mountains. And that's because the demonic presence that was infesting in this man was so severe and so evil and so powerfully destructive. That whenever they tried to subdue him with, with chains, he was ripping these chains and shackles apart with his bare hands. And understandably so, nobody from that point wanted to go anywhere near this guy. And yet on the other hand though, as it is so tragically true in the cases of people fighting demons in their lives, even in the world of today, and however that appears... We have to remember that somewhere underneath all of that darkness and of um, disarray, there is a human being who is hurting. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who has any regard for me. There is no one who regards me favorably. There, there is no escape for me. There is no one who cares for my soul. That is the lament of King David out of a cave in Psalm 142 as a king infested with an evil spirit was trying to kill him. And I, in so many ways as I read about this man who, who has this unclean spirit in Mark chapter 5, this is what his song would have been. Look to the right and see there is no one who cares for my soul. And yet there is good news this morning, isn't there? And the good news is, is that this is not a story about a, um, a demon or an evil spirit that had destroyed a man. But rather, this is the story of yet another demon that is being emasculated and sent packing by the power of a far greater God, the only God, the living God. This morning's message is entitled, When a Demon Departs, and, and that is what is about to unfold in Mark chapter 5. Now as we see, when a demon leaves and when a demon departs, that person is always surrounded by a power far greater than even the darkness itself. And that power is the love of Jesus Christ. Mark continues in verse 6, and he says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirits. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many. As we meet this man in Mark chapter 5, I mean, he was completely out of control. 
He was too powerful to hold. He was too destructive, breaking chains and shackles apart. And yet notice, though, that the moment that he sees Jesus, everything changes, doesn't it? Now, when Jesus says, what is your name? It becomes very clear to us that this is not a he or an it, but it is a they. We see that this man is being held captive to a plurality of demons. What we see is that this is a demonic infestation. We're in the words, my name is Legion. What we know is that a legion was, was a military word which had denoted anywhere between 3,000 and 6,000 Roman soldiers. So what this means is that there were anywhere between 3,000 and 6,000 evil demonic spirits crammed into this one individual. At one point, Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her, but this man had thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And notice, though, how unimpressed Jesus is by this. I mean, Jesus is absolutely unintimidated as he stands before all of these demons. And yet again, what we see is the spiritual forces of darkness trembling before the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Notice in the text how what we see are these demons falling down, bowing down before Jesus. This is the, the ancient word for worship. These demons are literally worshiping, bowing the knee before Jesus. They are proclaiming that he is the Holy One of God. And so their, their tongues are confessing and their knees are bowing before the greater lordship and the power of Jesus Christ. And also notice in the text that they are now begging him, do not torment us. Luke says that they were imploring him, do not send us into the abyss into the world of the dead, in other words. Now, in just a moment, we're going to see each and every one of these thousands of demons flee from out of this person. His spiritual chains are going to be breaking apart now. And yet, as God in human flesh, though, I mean, I, I just marvel at this often. Jesus, with, with all of these powers and abilities, if he wanted to, he could have been walking around showing off his powers, throwing mountains into the sea. And yet Jesus would, would so much rather use those, those powers to move mountains in people's lives. And so this is where this man is as we hear the words of King David echo forth in his own life, look to the left and see that there is no one who regards me favorably. There is no escape. There is no one who cares for my soul. And yet as he looks up, though, there was someone who cared for his soul, wasn't there? Jesus is standing there. Jesus is saying to him, let me come to your rescue. Let me make all things new in your life and in your hearts. And when Jesus is through with him, very soon in the text, what we're going to read is that this, this same exact man who was so out of control, breaking chains apart, naked, bleeding, screaming himself hoarse, now he is sitting down, he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. 
And you know, God always clothes us when we have been in our own disarray. We saw a few weeks ago in the imagery of Zechariah the prophet as Joshua the high priest stands before the angel of the Lord and Satan is accusing him. Joshua is wearing filthy garments which are representative of all of the corruption and the sin of Israel. Nevertheless, God silences the accuser, Hasatan, Satan, the evil one, and he orders for Joshua the high priest to be clothed in clean clothes. He says, put a turban on his head. In the parable of the prodigal son, we might remember how the son returns to his father's, I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. I've squandered your money in prostitutes and wild living. And yet before the words are even out of his mouth, what his father says is he gives commands for, for royal garments to be placed on his son. Put shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger. And that's exactly what God does for each and every person who, who meets him at the waters of baptism. Whereas we are baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, Paul says elsewhere in Scripture that God clothes us in Christ Jesus. And he makes all things new in our lives. And now in Mark chapter 5, what we see is this man has now been unshackled from his demons. And the time to move out of the cemetery now has come, and so he does, and he starts all over again in his life. And yet something else that we see in this text, though, is that when a demon departs, left in its wake is pain and destruction. And I believe other than fear, this is what demons want to inflict and, and what they traffic in. They traffic in self-destruction. As he came to his senses, I imagine that he, he, he very well may have asked somebody, what am I doing in this graveyard? Well, you've been living here for the last eight months, year and a half, whatever it was. Well, why am I naked? Why am I bleeding? Why is my body aching all over? Well, because you've been hitting yourself with stones all this time. Why is my throat on fire? Because for all of these months, you've been screaming night and day in the graveyard. And yet I think the biggest question that he would have had, though, is why are all those pigs in the water? And as the text Continues. What, what unfolds is all of these demons beg Jesus, three to six thousand demons beg Jesus, send us out of this man and into all of these pigs over here in this field. Jesus says, Go, and at once two thousand pigs rush down the steep bank. They stampede off of a hill and they drown themselves in a sea. Now, I don't think we're ever going to know why specifically Jesus allowed them to go into pigs. What we do know is that pigs were, were a symbol in the Hebrew world of, of that which was unclean. And yet, can you imagine, though, how haunting a visual that had to have been? Watching and hearing the, the sound of 2,000 pigs, eyes spinning in hysteria, stampeding off of a cliff and suiciding themselves in the sea. 
regardless of the rationale behind why all of this happened and what all of this represents, we just need to understand this is precisely what the spiritual forces of evil can wreak in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our attitudes. That is what the adversary dreams of. It is his absolute greatest fantasy for all of humankind to stampede into the abyss of self-destruction. And there's a lot of ways that we are driven to that as people. A lot of times it is self-indulgence. As the prodigal son has been born into all of this obscene wealth, and, but he leaves his father's estate, squanders it all. And his descent into the abyss of self-destruction had been so rapid that very soon this Jewish boy now is looking at pigs. And now his greatest ambition in life is to become a pig. Where he is that close to getting down on his hands and knees and competing with these pigs for the last bite of the slop. Other times it's looking for our deliverance in destructive locations. I've known so many beautiful people and they were not literally saying my name is Legion for we are many, but... But rather what they were saying is, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. My name is Mary and I'm addicted to meth. Or as I heard my own lips say on a, on, on a therapist's couch, my name is David and I hate myself. And I don't want to be alive. When we look for our worth and our meaning in life and in the opinions of other people as I did. Other times, it's replacing God's words with the ramblings of demons. Well, Matthew Coleman was one of the faces at a church that he attended. And yet, he just all of a sudden, inexplicably, drives to Mexico two months ago. When he gets to Mexico, he murdered his two-year-old son and his ten-month-old daughter. And the reason why, when he was asked, why did you kill your children? He said, well, I have been enlightened by the Illuminati and by QAnon. And they told me that my wife had serpent DNA inside of her. And so the only way that I could save the world was to kill my children. I did the world a favor doing this. We might say, well, that's just a lunatic. He was crazy. <laughs> And yet, for those who knew him, who had been interviewed by the police, they said, it's all the guy was talking about. He was never like this until just a few years ago. And all of a sudden, it's all that he's speaking about. It's all that he's reading about. It's all he's doing. Just all of these wild conspiracy theories. And I believe that if this man ever comes to his senses, though, he's going to find a, a trail of devastation and of self-destruction. And that can happen so quickly in our minds if, if we allow the words of God to go away from us. And we replace it with something else. And as we return to the text, though, in Mark chapter 5, for this man, though, who was captive to legion, 
There was deliverance, and it is a very, very, very happy story now. And yet, something else that we also see, though, is that when a demon departs, not everybody is going to be celebrating. Now, as Jesus drives legion out of him, in this instance, it is the garrison people who are objecting to Jesus. Word spreads very fast, and the whole city shows up, and they, and they see the man now in his right mind, and they are absolutely scared and terrified. And just as forcefully as these demons implore Jesus to let them enter into the pigs, with the same degree of fervor and intensity, the whole entire city implores Jesus to get out of their region and to never return again. And I love Jesus so much in his response because the very next words in the text are, as Jesus was getting into the boats. I mean, if we don't want anything to do with Jesus, Jesus is not going to force himself on anyone. But rather, he's looking for those who are poor in spirit, who, who will kneel before him and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And to a certain degree, I can almost see where these people might be coming from because for a lot of them, this was the way that they made money. This was their, their livelihood. And yet, as we look very closely, though, we see what their mindset was, though. Where their attitude was money above compassion. Property above human beings. Where it's like, yeah, 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 he's been oppressed and now he's made well. We don't care about that, Jesus. What about all of these dead pigs over here in the sea, huh? What about all of these dead presidents? What about the money? What about the Benjamins, Jesus? And they begin telling Jesus, listen, you need to get out of here and never come back again. We don't want you in our city. And you know, I've seen so many rehabilitated people before in my life. And I've seen this happen in churches before. I've seen a homeless woman who had been baptized into Jesus. And, and yet she comes into the stained glass windows and there are people staring at her shoes making comments about um, a tattoo on her arm and making it very clear, you're not very welcome here. I stood there once many years ago as three Native American men walked into a church building asking if we had any food for them to eat. And one of the old white men in the church called the police on them. I knew of a man who was released from jail and he came into a church and he was shown the door immediately because of who he was in 1991. See, there are so many people in the world whose song is that song of lament of Psalm 142, look to the right and see. There's no one who regards me favorably. No one cares for my soul. And yet there is someone who cares, isn't there? His name is Jesus, and, and he's walking outside of the stained glass windows with those people. And that's because to show such a one as that the door is to show Jesus Christ the door. Imagine saying to Jesus, if he walked in this morning, Jesus, you need to leave the Church of Christ. It's like his name is stamped across the building. 
And yet what Jesus is saying is my presence is not limited to a cathedral on Sunday morning. My presence and my church is everywhere in the world. Amen. And you see, even though not everybody's going to be celebrating when a demon departs. See, there will be some who will listen. I mean, the transformation of this man was extraordinary. It was so eerie that everybody who looked at him thought in their, their minds and in their heart of hearts, could this really be? And now, as Mark continues in the text, the, the same exact lips that had once shouted in demonic fury now shout the praises of Jesus Christ. Now the same mouth that, that these demons use in order to beg God not to send us into the abyss now is begging Jesus... Let me come with you. I want to become your 13th disciple. I want to spend the rest of my life telling the world about what you've done for me. I will follow you wherever you go. Well, Jesus does not let him come with them. And that's because he was very well known in this area. And he was exactly where Jesus needed him to be. And yet I just love, though, the closing verses, 19 and 20, though, where it says, as Jesus replies to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everybody marveled. You know, a lot of times we get it into our minds that in order to say anything about Jesus to other people, we have to have a PhD in theology. We've got to know everything that there is to know about the words of God. We've got to be eloquent. We've got to be wordsmiths. But what Jesus says to this man is all that we need to do. Just tell people, this is who I used to be. And now because of Jesus Christ, this is who I am now becoming. And they will be amazed. I mean, of all people, this guy becomes a preacher of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? His song used to be, look to the left and see, there is no one who cares for my soul. But, but now his, his song is the canticle of Psalm 66.16, which says, come and hear all of you who fear God. And I will tell you what he has done for my soul. As we close this morning, when a demon has departed, we, we need to hear these chilling words and this chilling warning that, that Jesus issues us. Luke chapter 11 and verse 24, I, I'll read it for us. Jesus says that when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says that I will return to my house from, from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Well, Jesus is primarily speaking about that religious generation of Israel, where no matter how many miracles they had seen Jesus perform, 
they were never convinced. They, they always wanted more evidence that he was the son of God. No matter what they heard him reveal about the kingdom of God, they, they just kept on returning to their life of hypocrisy and self-righteousness. These are people who refuse to let God transform their hearts of stone. And yet Jesus is also speaking about um, the way in which demonic presence operates. Where Jesus compares the human mind and the human spirit to a house that, that God has swept clean. And yet notice thou how even when a demon has departed, we've got to understand that they will come back. They will try to get back into the house. They're going to be dragging their spiked bats across the walls. They're going to be clawing at the windows. They're going to be trying to get back into our minds, into our hearts, into our attitudes. And yet the only way that they can get back in and do that is if we open up the door and invite them to come in. You see, this is why prayer every single day. This is why meditating on the words of God. This is why I spend over an hour every single day slowly breathing as I stare at something Lori gave to me that says, choose joy. And that's because when we practice these things, what we're communicating to the spiritual forces of darkness is that you are evicted and you are never again allowed in my mind and in my heart. You don't live here anymore. And so I just want to ask us this morning, what needs to be thrown out? You know, it sounds odd, but the highlight of my week, one of the things that I most look forward to is on every Sunday afternoon, as I drag all of the garbage out to the street that we've accumulated each week. It just feels good to get all of that garbage out of the house and out at the edge of the street. You know, it would be so nice if we only had to clean our house one time and it was spotless forevermore. And life is very messy though, isn't it? We've got to sweep that house. We have to dust that house. We have to take the garbage out constantly. And spiritually speaking, we've got to take all the garbage out of here and out of here and, and bring the words of Jesus Christ in. Because when we do this, when we live in this way, we will no longer be possessed by the negativity and the darkness of this world, but we will be possessed by the love and the peace of Jesus Christ. And it will be seen and experienced wherever we go and whoever we speak to. As we close this message and this series, let us go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we believe that the one who is in us, Jesus, is far greater than the one who is in the world, the spiritual forces of darkness. In the series, God, we've been made aware that they are everywhere and they seek our destruction. It's possible that the devil himself is standing right next to me right now. God, if there are any evil spirits in this auditorium right now, I pray that you will drive them out of here.
and send them into the abyss. And I pray, Father, that you will keep our hearts and our minds concentrated upon you. But more than anything, God, I pray that you will impress on our minds that that the forces of heaven are far greater and far more powerful than the forces of darkness. So I pray, Father, for all of those who are hurting this morning, all of those who have never been to the waters of baptism, please, God, I pray that you, you break their hearts and that they will taste and see that the Lord is good. All of this I pray in the strong and resurrected name of Jesus, our Christ. Amen.